What sport does is it teaches you together you will be better. Even though you're running 26.2 miles, you'll be floating on this incredible sea of positivity. Anybody can do it. And the feeling you will get will live with you for the rest of your life. Hi, my name is Rongan Chatterjee. Welcome to Feel Better, Live More. So I've decided to re-release a powerful conversation from 12 months ago as a bonus episode this week. You see, last year at this time, I was just a few days away from taking part in one of the world's most iconic races, the London Marathon. And just to be really clear, that was me going well beyond my comfort zone. Now, although I struggled with an injury throughout the race, I gotta say it was a truly magnificent day that I will never forget. Now, if you wanna hear about my experience on that day, I do cover that with my running coach, Helen Hall, on episode 216 of this podcast. But this particular conversation that I'm re-releasing today, it proves to be really popular with many of my regular listeners who have no real interest in running a marathon. But it was also really popular with people who have a love of group sporting events. This could be a marathon, but it could also be your local park run. And it turned out to be a conversation that so many people shared and spread with their communities. Now, I want to be clear here, this is not just a conversation about running. I talked to the London Marathon event director, Hugh Brasher, about some concepts that are really important for all of us. We talk about the importance of trying new things and getting outside our comfort zone. We talk about the power of community, the magic that happens when lots of people come together with a shared and common goal. Yes, we cover the history behind the London Marathon. I think you're going to be surprised if you don't know the history about the actual vision behind it, its inspirational aims and its objectives. We talk about personal goals, how important it is for us not to get caught up in other people's stories, in their aspirations and their goals. We talk about how we can all use physical activity as a tool for life transformation. And really, my hope in re-releasing this conversation is that it inspires you to think about what you can do this year to get outside your own comfort zone. Now, I hope that some of you might feel inspired at the end to go, yeah, you know what? I'm going to go for it. I'm going to go for the 2023 London Marathon. If that is you, the ballot opens on Saturday, the 1st of October. You can just go to the London Marathon website. It's super easy there. I'm putting a link to that ballot in the episode notes of this conversation in your podcast app. So all you have to do is click on that. And I know many of you last year who heard this conversation with Hugh entered and you got a place. And in under a couple of weeks, you will be taking part in your first London Marathon. So for those of you, good luck. But many of you also felt inspired to do other things like join Parkrun or join a local walking group or something else that suits you and your life. So I'm really pleased to be resharing this powerful conversation that at its core, is about community, commitment, coming together, and celebrating the human spirit. So here it is, my conversation with Hugh Brasher. The London Marathon is, and has been, 
probably one of the main focuses for me for this entire year. It's been there in the background for me. We'll get into the story of how that all happened later on. But you are in charge of the London Marathon. And I'll be trying to sort of figure out what is it about this race that seems to have such appeal for so many people? And literally a few hours ago, my cousin Bobby sent me a text. He said to me, Rongan, the run is incredible. Even before the run, strangers are saying good luck to you on the streets. Underground drivers are doing the same on the tannoy. This just shows you the buzz that you get before, during and after the run. The atmosphere that I had on that day is not something I've ever found again since. I will now say for sure, it's my favorite day of my entire life by some distance. If I had to redo one day again, I would choose it over any concert I've been to, any birthday and any holiday. Wow. Yeah. So why was I sent that text? What's so special about the London Marathon? It, 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 I mean, genuinely, it, that description, how he's laid that out is for so many people, that is so true. And why? I think it's because you will be floating, even though you're running 26.2 miles, you'll be floating on this incredible sea of positivity, where people as you know, uh, total strangers are wishing you the best in the journey that you're on those 26.2 miles and we are lucky in life if we get three or four people that genuinely want us to be successful but on that day you will have tens of thousands of people shouting your name put it on your your vest put it on your t-shirt and you know we can't be Harry Kane at Wembley we can't be Andy Murray at Wimbledon but on that day you will feel like that when they're playing at their best and you will float if that is possible floating 26.2 miles but that 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 is the feeling and the emotional the emotional connection that the crowd the incredible crowd that come and support will give you i'm getting tingles just thinking about it because as we speak as we record this what is it 12 days uh, yeah, it's 12 days to go and a bit less than that. You will already be running in, in uh, at this moment in 12 days time. So yeah, the final stage of the Odyssey will have started. For people sort of listening now or, or watching this who maybe don't run and, um, you know, listen to this show for, let's say, health advice and inspiration, you know, why does the London Marathon matter? Why does it matter beyond the 40, the 45,000 people who actually turn up and run it on the streets? What goes on beyond that? And why should everyone really care? Look, it's a, it's a great question. And there again, there are just so many different answers to it. Um, but it is about inspiration. It's about inspiring people on their health journey be it their physical health journey or their mental health journey. And that latter piece, that mental health journey, now more than ever over what we as a society or world has been through and is still going through, um, that is so important. And when you break down running, it's incredibly simple. Um, it's just one step in front of another. But you have control over whether you take that step or you don't take that step. And for each person, there's research going on at the moment that for each person that does the London Marathon, another 200 people have been inspired to take up that journey 
of positive physical and mental health. So you've got this incredible community spirit coming together. Um, and, and it is, it's just like, as I say, it's, it's basically, it's 40,000 people running on the streets of London. Um, but around them, the biggest street party in the world is going on, celebrating those 40,000 slightly mad souls um, doing this incredible thing, 26.2 miles. It's not normal, but it's achievable if you put your mind to it. And um, that's, I think, the power of what the London Marathon has become, which started with, you know, 1981, my father co-founded it with John Disley. At that stage, it was mainly men. It was like only, I think only 300 women, just under 300 women out of 6,000, um, just over 6,000 finishes in the first event were women. Now it is a sea of humanity of everyday people. That statistic is pretty incredible that for every one person who does the race, 200 others get inspired. What is that? Is that from watching on telly? Is that from seeing people who look like them i guess not the elite athletes say oh i guess that looks like a regular mum, just like me and she's doing it i mean what, what's going on there how does it inspire people beyond that actual event so as you've said it's it's exactly it's like because it, it, what you see is what you believe and therefore you see someone looking like you doing the event you go well if they can do it i can do it but there's also a, a huge charity fundraising connection. So um, about three quarters of the runners will be raising funds for charity. But about 1.6 million people have donated to the people running. So even though you've got 40,000 running, you've got 1.6 million that have donated. You've got 4 million watching on telly in the UK live let alone those that are following it up with, um, uh, you know, sort of on demand. Um, you've then got it transmitted in 196 countries around the world. And that incredible, it's the stories, it's the human stories that make the London Marathon what it is. It's not the stories so much of the elite athletes. They're amazing performances, incredible performances. But it's that connection where people realize that actually that person is the same as me or that person has a story and I have one that is different but is motivating for me to go on that journey. That that text from my cousin that I mentioned, the first part of that which I, I didn't read out before was him saying, why did I first do it? I did it because I used to watch it every year on the BBC. I used to see it and I thought it'd be great to do it. And it'd be great to say I've done the world's most famous marathon. But he said, since he has done it, he said, those reasons mean nothing anymore. I don't want to say that I've done it. I just want to experience that day again. And I guess for someone like myself, who's 12 days out from my first marathon, reading that, hearing you talk, it gives me tingles. I'm thinking, well, yes, it may be different this year. Uh, because of what's been going on in the world. But I'm thinking, what is, you know, maybe it's something that you can read about, you can be told about it, but maybe it's something that you can't really quite get until you actually do it. And, and look, I'm going to love talking to you after the event, um, because it is, it's a feeling that however much I try and describe it, it's almost indescribable. It is just that 
connection that you have with your fellow runner, with the people supporting you who have been on this journey and your connection with, with people that are supporting the fundraising. Um, so, and, and, you know, I can't promise you that the, the last six miles will be feel as you're doing it, the most amazing feeling. Um, but it's afterwards, it's like very often people cross the finish line and they're just in tears. They're just gone through an emotional journey, remembering the reason that they ran, whether it's for a loved one, whether it's for someone they lost, whether it's for themselves, whether it's for their community, for whatever reason, it, it, it puts you in, in a place that actually is a positive place to be. And you've been through this journey. And I would just say to your listeners, it is indescribable. But if you can, you know, anybody can do it. And the feeling you will get, as Bobby said, will live with you for the rest of your life. Anybody can do it, you say. So this morning, I've been asking people who I've come across in my life, would you sign up for a marathon? Someone close to me said, no way, I don't see the point in having to I don't see the point in pushing my body to that extreme. Uh, someone else said to me, I don't have time to train. Uh, I think at the school gate yesterday when someone said, oh, not long till the marathon now, Rongan. Uh, I said, yeah, we, why, why don't you sign up for next year? Rather you than me. So why is it that something that in your words, anybody can do, so many people think is unattainable and not for them? So I'm going to ask you a question back, because if someone had said to you two years ago, before you've gone on the journey that you're going on, was it for you? What would you have said? Yeah, that's a great question, Hugh. Um, so let's rewind two years. You know, for some people, a marathon's on their bucket list. I don't think it was for me. Mm. Like, I honestly don't think it was for me. And I think that's because, you know, I would do the park run. Yeah. Um, maybe every other week with my son, you know, so that was 5k, it was fine, no real problem. Although, uh, yeah, there was a time when I was starting to get hammy discomfort after two or three K. Um, I'd say it's a good point. What I, I probably would have thought if I'm honest, sounds good, but God knows where I'm going to fit in this sort of time into my already really busy life. And if I do have spare time, I'd probably rather do something different. Mm. Now, how did it change for me? Yeah, that's um, going to be my next question. That's exactly how does it feel now? So funnily enough, in the two weeks preceding to when I found out stroke agreed to do the marathon, I was struggling with an injury, actually. And I couldn't really do the park run. I was sort of the 2k my right hand kept going and my third book had just come out feel better in five i was starting off uh book promo in london for a week and i was on the chris emma's breakfast show and you know i grew up watching chris on telly so it was a bit of a pinch me moment even though i'd been on the show before it was still you know this is chris's show yep. and we just had a phenomenal conversation chris was talking to me for the first 10 minutes about this podcast yeah. and saying how it's changed his life and it's you know everyone should listen to it and i was thinking this is chris evans mm. talking about my show i couldn't quite believe it at that time then we spoke about the book and things were going great i thought we were just winding up the interview 
And um, Chris suddenly said, and uh, speaking of marathons, what do you say, Rongan? Dr. Rongan Chastity in the London Marathon 2020, what do you think? And essentially, he challenged me on air. I think I... I sort of semi said yes and said, well, I'm pretty sure I couldn't get a place now anyway. It's not long to go. Uh, he goes, no, no, we've already got your place before the interview. <laughs> so him and Vassos were looking at me yeah. and uh, basically challenged me on air. And I said, yes. I don't think I quite realized it at that time that it was only about 12 weeks to go <laughs> at that time, maybe 12 or 15 weeks. Of course, the April 2021 ended up getting postponed. Um, I know you ran a virtual event last year, but you know the actual in-person event is happening, I guess, almost 18 months, a year, year, year and a half after that initial event, <laughs> which for many reasons for me has worked out quite well. Um, but going back to that initial point, yeah, I probably would have said a similar thing or probably thought I can't fit that in. But saying yes has transformed my life, right? Because saying yes has taken me on a journey of self-discovery. I was going to do it in April 2020. Mm. Like, yes, it would have been tough, but I've got together with a phenomenal running coach. He mm. said, well, you can do it. It's going to be tough, but we can get you around. Mm. Um, but since I've had longer and I've been working with her, my body is moving more efficiently than it's ever moved before. I've learned about my mental obstacles that happen when things get tough. I've I've done tough things in the past, but in a slightly different way, this is sort of showing up other parts of my personality for me. So I actually thought a few months ago, I said to Helen, who, who's my running coach, I said, Helen, even if this got cancelled, I am running a marathon on Sunday, October the 3rd, 2021. Mm. I hope it's in London, but if it ain't, I'm doing it somewhere because I'm ready in my head it doesn't mean I feel I've done enough training. Let's be yeah. really clear. Yeah. But in my head, I'm like, no, I am completing a marathon in 2021. Yeah. And I mean, uh, just when you say that bit about doesn't mean you're necessarily ready as a first time runner. I think that's what everybody feels. I think they get there and it's like the the process you've gone through, the training. I mean, yeah, you've you've had, I mean, what is incredible to say is on the day of the marathon, it will be 889 days since the last in-person London marathon for the masses. It's quite incredible. Um, so it's two and a half years since April 2019 uh, to October 2021, 889 days. I have worked it out because you're looking at me like I've well, got... Well, I'm just saying, presumably that's the longest gap ever since it started, right? Absolutely. Since the 29th of March, the first year, 29th of March, 1981. Um, and then it moved to April in, in 1982. So there's there's never been that gap. But And I think... You know that's that that journey you've been on in terms of of um, adapting over over that time is a journey that so many people will have shared with you and the ups and downs, the disappointments that we've had through through this journey, and then you know that's why I I really believe that the third of October, um, I mean I don't know whether you watched the Olympics and Tokyo twenty twenty, and the emotion that the athletes when they came off the track were showing was profound it was deep um and even though they were competing without any crowd just i think their relief that they had been able at the end of their 
four-year or now five-year cycle been able to complete their event. I think that's what people, this is going to be the People's Olympics on the 3rd of October and that connection that people have with their own emotions and the journey they've been on. I think it's going to be the most memorable London marathon ever. And wow, we've had some pretty incredible ones in the past. Well, let's take it back to the start. I believe that the idea for the London Marathon came about when your dad, I think, had a post-run drink in Richmond all the way back in 1978. So tell me about that. What was going on at the time? Yeah, my dad liked the pub. Um, uh, so in our house, it got called the station. I've no idea why he was coming back from the station, but it actually was in the pub. Um, and the running club that he belonged to was called Ranla Harriers and their clubhouse was behind the pub. Um, and he was there one evening and uh, his club mates came back um, and they'd just been to New York. And as you say, it was 1978 and they'd been to New York City and they had run the New York City Marathon. And they were waxing lyrically about it, saying it was the most amazing thing. My father had to go see what it was like. Um, and I have to say, my father thought, well, that's the worst thing I could possibly think of, running 26.2 miles on the road. He loved the countryside. He loved the mountains. He's, he, you know, he would go out. He might go out for three or four hours for a walk. But the thought of doing it on a rock hard pavement was the last thing he thought would be um, would be a good thing. But he went there. And he wrote movingly in The Observer um, in 1979 um, and uh, about that he had had an epiphany like Saul on the road to Damascus. Um, and, uh, you know, my father had been Olympic gold medalist. He um, had heard the crowd roar at Melbourne in 1956. He'd, um, as a reporter, which is what he was, he'd been at so many different sports events, the World Cup in 1966, but he said he'd never heard such a roar as the roar of the crowd supporting 20,000 people in then the gun crime capital city of the world, which New York was in 1979. And that feeling, he asked, he said he knew that London had the course because John Disley, who co-founded with my father, said it did. But he said, did London have the heart and have the soul to welcome the world? And again, the 3rd of October, we will show we do and that Britain does. And it is just, as I say, I, I can't wait to speak to you a few days afterwards and, and, and hear the journey and what you felt it was like. I mean, hearing you recount that story about your dad and you know the passion with which you speak, I almost felt there was tears there, Hugh. What does this event mean to you? Yeah, huge man. I mean, it's uh, it's 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 his legacy. Um, it's his and John Disley's legacy. I mean, they were incredible um, people. Um, you know, my father was the pacemaker to Sir Roger Bannister, along with Chris Chataway. And you see a picture of those three people and they were sort of pantheons of, of sport and what they did outside sport was quite incredible. Does it make me emotional? Yes. Um, because the London Marathon has become what I call, and I believe is called one of the crown jewels of British sport. Um, and 
if you look at the others, you talk about the FA Cup, you talk about the Grand National, you talk about the boat race, you talk about Wimbledon. Firstly, everyday people can't do that. Um, they're all over 150 years old. The London Marathon is 40 years old. And it's that unique bit where you are starting on the same start line of the gods of the sport. You know, whether it's the Eli Kipchoge, whether it is Bridget Koskai, whether it's David Weir, whether it's Shelley Woods, whether it's Manuela Shaw, whoever, these incredible athletes who have been on the same journey as you. And yeah, they might be running an awful lot quicker, but you just don't get that in anything else. And I think how Britain has adopted this and um, it will be something like 40% of the watching population will be watching having the London Marathon on their TVs, which is incredible. That doesn't happen these days with Netflix and Amazon and all these other other channels. But people have just adopted it, and um, yeah, it's it's yeah, it's a real honour to be in the position I'm in, um, and to be inspiring people to 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 take up running. Um, whatever age, I mean, I'm passionate about kids taking up sport and and just how it brings communities together and people together. On the London Marathon website, your vision, your values, your, your aims are all there. It says one of the aims of the London Marathon is to show humanity that on occasions society can be united. I found that really interesting, particularly if we think about the state of the world today, which is very, very divided, a lot of polarization. This has been going on for years, even before the past 18 months that was going on. So why is it such a passion through this event that you want to show humanity that society can be united? And also, why in those words did you put to show humanity that on occasion, society can be united. That those two words, I thought were really interesting. So, so as you said, society is divided, and that's wrong. It is just, there is no reason that we should be divided if we start to want to understand where someone is, else is coming from, where we want to listen to where they're coming from. And... um the marathon breaks down barriers, you know, 26.2 miles. It's a long way. Um, and, and everyone on that day, it's what sport does, actually. It's incredible. It's what sport does. You realize that you are united in a purpose. And I go back to, to kids and, um, you know, I've got an eight-year-old and 11-year-old and I found out you have the, have, have the same. And, you know, um, mine did junior park run on, on Saturday. And I yeah. think, you know, you're, you're talking in the same way. And if you can, you know, what sport does is it teaches you together, you will be better. It teaches you that um, together with surrounding yourself with great people, you will do great things. But you also can't control everything. And you can't control if someone is going to be better than, than you. If you go for a job interview, for example, you can't control if the greatest person for a job is going to turn up, but you can control whether you 
are well prepared for that interview, whether you have done your research, whether you turn up on time, whether you turn up relaxed, whether you turn up having slept, whether you turn up having eaten the right food, whether you turn up on the top of your game. And if someone turns up better than you, heck, you did your best. Some other time, you will come out best. And that does go slightly away from what we've talked about in terms of um, showing the family of humanity that on occasions it can be together because the more occasions that we make it happen, the more we break down those barriers, the more that the world will realize that that's what we need to do going forward. And, you know, these goals were put in by my father and John Disley. Same ones, really? Same ones. So there are a couple of extra ones that we've added, but that is one of, we slightly changed the words. It was it was the family of mankind as opposed to humanity. Mankind is not now, it's humankind or humanity. So we've slightly tweaked in terms of um, uh, the words, but those... That, that and, and, and the marathon's done that. If you go to, to after the Boston bombing tragedy and, and our event happened six days later and people, you know, we had 30 seconds of silence on the start line to show our togetherness with what was going on in New York at that time. And we will have people from around the world. Not all the countries will be able to join us um, on the 3rd of October this year. But it's another reason we've put the event back to the 2nd of October 2022. So once again, we can welcome the world. And Marathon, you know, we're part of Abbott World Marathon Majors, Berlin, New York, Chicago, Boston, Tokyo. We genuinely want to try and bring the world together. And it sounds a ridiculous statement. It really does. You know, it, it doesn't actually, you know, because as you were describing humanity, division, togetherness, I, I, I kept going back in my mind to what you said about what's special about this event, that I will be running on the same bit of road as some of the best runners in the world. If Kipchoge didn't have the Olympics this year, I probably would be running on the same pavement as Kipchoge. Yep. And I think that's incredibly powerful, actually, because as you say, with other events, it can feel quite distant. Oh, that's a great spectacle to watch from afar. Oh, wow, I love watching this. But actually, what can be more powerful at bringing people together than actually, you know, existing, running, facing adversity, maybe at times experiencing pain and suffering, but you're doing it on the same roads, on the same pavements, with the same crowds around you. I guess, of course, I haven't experienced it yet myself. I cannot wait to. But in some ways, that shows that we're all the same more than anything else. Exactly. That, that is exactly it. And I think you mentioned earlier that your wife, your kids are coming to support and um, uh, the conversations they'll get in with other people who are supporting a loved one or just, you know, those conversations again will bring people together. Um, so, and I think that the more we are connected with our feelings, the more where we feel something together, that's what creates these incredibly powerful experiences um, that you just don't get in life generally. And it is what we have missed more than ever in the last 18 months as we have been um, segregated, separated, um, 
you know, our kids haven't been educated at school. We haven't been able to meet our friends yet together. We will be bringing people that outside it's safe and it's going to be the most incredible experience and the feeling um, I, I hope you get. And I mean, one of the dangers is if we talk this up and then, and then you come afterwards and you say, oh, shoot, that really wasn't what I expected. <laughs> well, I'm sure it possibly won't be what I expected. But you know, one thing I've learned to do over the past few years, I think, is kind of just be more accepting. It will be what it will be. As you say, and I've heard you say this uh, in other interviews, I, I saw this really gorgeous conversation you gave, I think, to some colleges in London uh, to try and inspire, you know, I guess, teenagers and people in their early 20s about going on in life. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. You could see the passion um, and, and your desire to really help people. But, you know, one of the things you spoke about there and you've spoken about already is focus on what you can control. Well, look, I can control how much I train. I can control what I eat before and what I drink before. And I can't control the weather, nope. right? I'd love it to be, uh, you know, not too hot. I'd love it to be like a blue skies and cool breeze behind me, helping me. <laughs> but, you know, it could be pouring down with rain. And if it does, it does. Yep. I can't imagine that would, if I'm honest, in any way change my enjoyment of the events. And, and I guess even if... I don't know. Of course, I'm hoping to complete the events. Uh, I imagine each year, are there people who pull out and they're unable to? Do you know what sort of percentage that is? Yeah. I mean, one of the, the slightly bizarre statistics is, um, so about each year, about 450 people start but don't finish. Um, so about 450 people drop out on the route of of, of about 40,000 people. So you're playing around with about 1%, just over 1%. And, and that sounds reasonable to me because it's hard. Yeah. Although everyone can do it. I actually do believe that everyone can do it. Yep. Actually, something may happen on the day. You might sprain your ankle or an injury might flare up yep. and you might come to the point where actually, you know what? I could go through, but I'm probably going to knacker my knee if I finish this yep. and then not be able to walk for the rest of the year. Mm -hmm. So, you know, do you know what sort of people drop out and do you know sort of for what reasons they, they often do? It, it is most often it is an injury that they sustain um, or an illness that they've picked up um, that they didn't realize. And then as they're going through the day, I mean, we've done a huge amount of work this year for the back of the pack runners. Um, so we've got a party bus at the back. Um, we've got uh, a, a load of tail walkers. So people who are helping runners. We've got supporters from miles 16 to 24 to walk with people if they are um, uh, sort of really feeling the effects so we've done a huge amount to support people on that journey because they've done a huge thing to just to get to that start line that's really exciting first of all i'm intrigued as to what goes down on the party bus um but i'm fascinated that as a society and i'm super aware that you come from a family of high sporting pedigree dad an olympic gold medalist i think your mum was a high-level tennis player. Yeah, she won the French Open, um, both singles mixed and doubles. So understatement of the year that you come from a high sports and pedigree family. There's obviously a fascination with the elite in society. We like to see how fast people can run. We like to see, you know, who's the best tennis player or who's the best whatever. But it strikes me that 
talking to you about the London Marathon, talking to my friends who've done it or who aspire to, to do it at some point, it strikes me that in some ways there should be more focus on the back of the pack because in some ways they're the kind of everyday heroes. They're the sort of, they're your neighbours. They're the people who don't have their own coach, their own physio. They don't have infinite time to rest and chill after a, a long workout. They're the ones who are squeezing that workout in around looking after kids, school run, job, shopping. Is this something that you think has to change across society? Do you think it's something that the London Marathon has had to evolve over the years, this this real focus on the back of the pack? Yeah, I think, and actually, I think it, it, it's something, I mean, we've had a partnership with the BBC since day one in terms of the, the that's where the marathon has, has been on TV. And if you think there's there's coverage pretty well over six hours live, yet the elite athletes are taking two hours and 30 minutes. So two hours for the women and two hours, actually two hours, 15, two hours, 20, um, uh, two hours, 15, two hours, 20 for the women and, and just over two hours for the men. Uh, the elite wheelchairs are about one hour 30 and one hour 40. So actually you've got, you do have more coverage of the everyday stories because those are the ones that actually inspire people. And those are the ones um, where the marathon really connects with people going back to on a on on a level i mean the gods of the sport amazing but that's not us um that's not who we can aspire many of us to be um but actually just being the best that we can be um memorize you know doing something in memory of something of somebody else um helping someone on that journey helping through fundraising that's things that we can do that's going to give us a positive life experience. And um, that's, I think, you know, positivity and being positive in life. That's what it's all about. Go out, enjoy life and, and the London Marathon, even though you're on this journey of 26.2 miles, it will feel at the end that you have done something incredibly positive. What does running a marathon teach someone about life ah what doesn't it teach them about life um so i think uh firstly just one step at a time you know we are in society we we tend to fear change we tend to fear what might happen that is bad as opposed to actually looking at what might happen that is good and, um, you know, I, as you say, come from a sporting background. Um, my passion is actually motorbike racing. That's what I do. And um, you don't look at the corner. You're always looking through the corner, past the corner, where you want to go. Where you want to go is a safe place. If you're looking at the corner, you're probably looking at the kitty litter. Or you're looking at off track. You're going to end up off track. So you've got to look where positively you want to go. And so I think that um, what the marathon teaches you is, firstly, one step at a time. It's a long journey. Um, and there's a Chinese proverb, and I'm not going to get it right, but uh, something like the journey of a thousand miles starts with one step. Yeah. And, and that's what the marathon can teach you. It can teach you also surround yourself, get information. You've got a coach. Yeah. Now, I mean, where did you find your coach from? Where did you get your coach from? So... 
Look, I'm incredibly lucky. Um, and I, and I want to acknowledge that not everyone has got the resources to have a running coach and uh, the time to, to put into that. Um, but but the honest truth is what happened is after I came out of the radio studio and got into a taxi with Gareth, who's there, who's videoing the, the conversation at the moment, I was like, what have I just done? I've just said yes to to do a marathon. I can't run more than two k at the moment without my hammy going, and it's what in it's in April. I was like, "Well, it's in April. That's not long to go at all." So I got on. I had work to do, so I had to put it out of my mind, get on with the job, and I thought, "Okay, how am I going to do this?" I've said I'm going to do it. I would like to do it, um, and. I caught up a chap called Gary, Gary Wards, who's been on the show before. Gary is the guy who I uh, really put down to someone who helped me pretty much get rid of my back pain. I had 10 years of chronic back pain in my 20s. I was trying everything, you know, physios, doctors, or, um, you know, basically all kinds of treatments. Things would help for a bit, but I would never get to the root cause of the problem. And I knew, you know, people say, oh, wrong and you're tall. It's just the way it is. I thought, I just do not believe that just by being tall means I have to put up with debilitating back pain for the rest of my life. And I've always been very inquisitive and curious. And I found this guy, Gary, who was incredible. I went on one of his courses. I think it was the first doctor to study his methods. And in a nutshell, he said, wrong and your right foot is not working properly. Um... If we can get that, you know, moving more efficiently, I think that will help your back. And literally five minutes of foot exercises a day, and my back was like 70, 80% better. Yep. So what's that got to do with the marathon story? I phoned up Gary. I said, listen, mate, yeah. you got to help me. I am meant to be doing this in a few weeks. He said, all right, come and see me. Well, we'll, we'll you know, let's see what we can do. Went to see Gary and he said, he, he left me a voice message a few days after and he said, Rongan, I know, especially over the past few years since you've been on telly and with the podcast, you have got an incredible black book of people to call. But I'm telling you, speak to Helen Hall. She's unbelievable. So I went down to see Helen with Gary. And that was last January 2020. Helen is one of the most incredible human beings I've ever met. Not only is she got a way of looking at the entire human body that's just incredible, and I've seen a lot of great coaches in my life. She is definitely in the top drawer of anyone I've come across. She's getting my body moving more efficiently. And as I said, the marathon for me has been a journey because I've been seeing her and talking to her regularly. She's now become one of my closest friends. Mm. And together she's she's helped me you know there's many things she's taught me if i'm honest he one of the things that she's really helped me see is that your training has to fit around your life and for me and i i really want to sort of get this message out there to people where possible that and and i wonder what your thoughts are on this because you know the marathon's a long way so you know most people would think it it requires a huge amount of training, a lot of time out. I have to find this time from somewhere. A lot of people are still training even when they're already knackered. 
And I actually think there's another way, because I, when I say I haven't trained as much as I would have liked to, you know, it's been a busy year for a variety of reasons. Things have come up in work. You know, my mum, who's, you know, she turned 81 a couple of weeks ago. She's not really well. She's been falling a lot. My brother and I helped care for her. And Helen's helped me realize that, wrong and look, you can only train as much as you can train. You can't fabricate time out of thin air. And she's helping me realize that you can actually train for a marathon and also be kind to yourself. And I'm not sure that's the common narrative. I think the common narrative is you have to punish yourself. Even if you're exhausted, you have to still get those trainers on and go and push yourself. I totally agree with you. In, in a simple phrase, in a simple um, answer, you do not need to punish yourself. And actually, that's not a positive thing to do. Um, so you need to start recognizing when you're tired and adapt your training and or not go training and then do it the next day you'll you know on the journey that pe people the hardest bit i mean that you got the first step but if you've not run before it's those first six or seven weeks that's the hardest bit yeah. once you've got through those first six or seven weeks you're actually getting endorphins you're getting a natural high from the fact that you're running and you're going to want to do it and actually sometimes it can become compulsive yeah. and you've got to try and dampen that down do it um, because it feels good, um, you know, and, and go, going back to my father in 1981, he used to write an article in the Observer, there was the Brasher way and there was the Hanscom way. And the Hanscom way was like run miles and miles and miles. And my dad's way was much more going to the mountains, have a bit of fun, do it, do it sort of more infrequently, do it with a pint of beer. Um, and, and it had different people following yeah. on which way was better. And in the end, it's about the individual. It's about what works for you. I think that's the key point. What works for you? So, so this journey of self-discovery for me was really trying to figure out why am I actually doing this? Am I doing it because I said yes? I don't think I am. I think the old Rongan, the younger, the less secure Rongan of five, ten years ago would have definitely done it because I said yes. And I remember when I posted about it on social media that day or the day after we posted the video of Chris asking me. And a lot of my followers said, wrong and don't do it just because I said yes. You should talk to your wife. It's going to be a huge amount of training, a lot of time out of your family, all this kind of stuff. And, and it, was, it was amazing to see their concern. But it hasn't really been like that. Like, the truth is, and I wonder what your view on this is, especially because you come from a competitive family. Well, I, I assume a competitive family from the achievements of your mum and dad's. I think my identity used to be, it used to come from external achievements. So, oh, if I did this, it would help support my self-worth. It would make me feel artificially good. Mm -hmm. So in the past, I would, if I said yes, I was going to come hell or high water. I would have done that event and completed it, even if it broke me. Right. But the wrongen of 2021, I would like to think is very different. If I honestly thought that doing that event would break me or give me a knee injury, I would have pulled out. I would have said, hey, you know what? I said yes, but you know what? Genuinely, I can't fit it into my life. Mm. Because I've had longer... I've realized, and, and Helen has been hugely influential 
on me throughout this journey that you don't have to beat yourself up. She said, very much similar to you, she says, what humans are good at is putting one foot after the other. Humans can always keep going. It's what we do best. And whenever I struggle, I always think about it. And she says, wrong enough, the distance is long enough, you will come out of your funk. You know, walk. You may not feel good. Just walk for a bit and you will come out the other side. Mm-hmm. So instead of thinking, oh, I'm done now, just walk. Mm-hmm. And you'll probably find you feel different. So I guess I'm getting quite emotional thinking about this, but I have been on this process of really understanding my body better over the past 18 months. I feel what I've learned with Helen and on this journey to do the marathon, it's going to help me in every aspect of my life. It's going to help me walk better. If I play golf, I'm going to golf better. It's going to help me have more mobility in all my joints. So actually for me, a week on Sunday, in some ways is the culmination of all that self-discovery, but it doesn't stop there, Hmm. right? It doesn't stop there. It's not as if that's the end destination for me. No, I'm not going to suddenly stop running a week on Sunday and go, oh, cool, that's done now. Uh, Let me get back to my life now. I'm already thinking about the marathon the year after. If I'm honest, I'm already thinking, oh, what about the London Marathon next year? What about ultras? I'm already starting to think beyond it. And I want to ask you, Hugh, because last year was obviously a very difficult year. You had to cancel the event. I remember in the summer, July, August time, I remember there was quite a lot of animosity on Twitter saying, you've got to let us know. We've got to know, you know, am I, am I to keep training? Do I stop? What was that like for you and your team when you were getting that animosity? Because I imagine behind the scenes, it was very, very hard to know, could you put this event on? But then also, what does that teach us? I understand people want to know. But if we're, if we're really focusing on this as a process, you know, a, a journey rather than a destination, in some ways you could argue it doesn't matter whether the event is happening or not. It, it, do you know what I'm getting at? It, of course it matters. But do some of us get too entrapped in thinking it's, of course it's a great event, but I don't think it's just about the event. It's what it teaches you along the way and beyond. And look, you've said a lot of pretty profound things there. And, um, you know, how did it feel when we were getting the criticism, um, you know, just tell us what's going on? It felt difficult. Um, but we had our, we had knowledge that we were trying to do the right thing and that we were doing the right thing, that we were working with London authorities. I mean, putting the London Marathon on, it's going through um, five London boroughs plus the city. It's in the Royal Parks. You've got the BBC. You've got the Mayor's Office. You've got Transport for London. You've got a myriad of different private landowners, be it Canary Wharf, um, Tower Hotel. You've got so many different people that you are speaking to who help you and who need to be allowing you for that marathon to go on. Um, And so we were trying to give people as much information that we could. um, And we were dealing with so many different scenarios that we had planned. Um, uh, And yes, it didn't, it didn't happen. Um, But I agree with you. It's about, you can, as an individual, you can focus on, well, it's just about that one day. 
And I agree with you, it shouldn't be about that one day. That one day is going to be incredible. But life is should never be about one day. Life should be about um, every day. It should be about the journey. It should be about, I mean, one of the things I want to ask you, how do your kids now feel? You know, it's coming up with 12 days to go. What are they saying to you, Dad? What's happening? What are they saying? Just taking a quick break to give a shout out to Athletic Greens who are supporting today's show. A good quality nutrition is an essential pillar, of course, to get right for our physical health. Yes, if you want to run a marathon, but also if you want to take part in your local park run. But good quality nutrition is also important for our mental health and our emotional health. And in an ideal world, I would much prefer it if everyone got all of their nutrition from real whole foods. But I know from 21 years now of seeing patients that a lot of us struggle to find the time to consistently do that. That is why I am a fan of good quality whole food supplements like AG1 by Athletic Greens. One Tasty Scoop contains 75 whole food source ingredients, including a multivitamin, multimineral, prebiotic, green superfood blend, and more in one convenient daily serving. It helps support energy and focus, aids with gut health and digestion, and it also helps support a healthy immune system. Now, AG1 has been in my own life for over three years now, and I genuinely think it is one of the best whole food supplements out there. It's also really tasty. So if you want to take something each morning as an insurance policy to make sure that you are meeting your nutritional needs, I can highly recommend it. If you go to athleticgreens.com forward slash live more, you will be able to access an exclusive special offer where they're offering my audience five free travel packs and a free one-year supply of vitamin D, a critical nutrient for our immune system. You can see all details of this special offer by going to athleticgreens.com forward slash live more. Vivo Barefoot are also bringing you today's show. Now, I've been wearing and recommending Vivo Barefoot shoes for around 10 years now, well before they started supporting my podcast. And they really have had a huge impact on my own life, as well as that of my family, many of my friends, and a lot of my patients. Now, in this conversation, you are hearing me talk to Hugh about how I had planned and did complete the London Marathon wearing my Vivos. But I don't think that's necessarily for everyone. So when we think about minimalist shoes, I don't want you to think about running in them necessarily, although, of course, people can do that. I think it's much better to start off just living and walking and going to work in them. You see, I've seen so many benefits when people transition to minimalist shoes like Vivos. I've seen improvements in back pain, hip pain, knee pain, foot pain, things like plantar fasciitis, as well as an increased enjoyment of movement. Now, scientific research has shown that just a few months of wearing Vivos for your daily activity increases your foot strength by almost 60%. Now, just to be clear, that is not about running in Vivos. That study simply had people live in their Vivos for their activities of daily life, like going to the shops, going to work, that kind of thing. That increase in foot strength by almost 60% is an incredible statistic that doesn't really surprise me because I've seen so many benefits with my patients when they have made that transition. Now, Vivo Barefoot are the only shoes that my wife and I wear and the only shoes that I get for my children. And if you have never tried them before, 
I really would encourage you to give them a go. And it's completely risk-free to do so because they offer a 100-day trial for new customers. So if you're not happy, you just send them back for a full refund. If you go to vivobarefoot.com forward slash live more, they are giving 20% off to all of my podcast listeners. Terms and conditions do apply. To get your 20% off codes, all you have to do is go to vivobarefoot.com forward slash live more. I mean, they're excited. They can't wait. They want to come down. They want to watch. I said, Daddy, will we be able to see you? You know, you're pretty tall. I'm like, okay, kids, you know, I'm tall, but there's going to be a lot of people around. <laughs> I don't know. They're just really excited. And can I just say that's part of the, that's part of this wider sort of sphere that what you're doing and what you're doing, talking about it here with, you know, you've already said 650,000 people listening every week. Um, and the journey that you're going on and, and what's happened and the ups and downs of it, but actually the process and, you know, you're inspiring your kids, you're inspiring people listening to this. That's just the most incredible thing to be doing. And um, hopefully that again fills your heart with just incredible joy. Yeah, it does. You know, seeing the excitement on the kids' faces, I know that will matter, you know, if as people say, at some point in the race, when your mind is saying, you should stop, you can't go on. Yes, I'll, I'll, I'll draw my internal resources. I, I've been doing a lot, of, a lot of thinking about this marathon here, as you can probably tell, and I guess a lot of it's coming out at the moment because you're here. But I'm going to finish that marathon. Hmm. I can see that. I can see that in your head. I can see it as you, you, you I can see you imagining. I'm not going to finish it at the expense of everything else. If something happened that I thought I was going to, you know, bust my knee, if hmm. I continue, okay, I'm not going to be stupid. I will, you know, pull myself off the course and go, okay, hmm. it wasn't meant to be this year. Yep. But, but what's really helped me and I did an Instagram post on this, which people really liked about a week and a half ago. Maybe we can talk about it is I've got clear on my goals, not other people's goals, not the newspaper's goals, not what people write about running magazines goals. That's all fine. But I realized it weren't my goals. And I've, I've done a bit of self-inquiry as to what do I want out of the marathon? So I've got four goals in my head which are unique and personal to me. It doesn't mean no one else can have them. Yeah. It just means these are my goals. I want to do it mostly nasal breathing because I've been studying a lot of nasal breathing. I've spoken about it a lot on the show. I know what it does to our body physiologically. It will keep me in the aerobic zone. Mm. There's all kinds of reasons. So I'm going to see if I can do that. Mm. I want to finish with a smile on my face, which I'm sure I hope everyone can do or, yeah. or aspires to do. I want to do it in my Vivo barefoot minimalist shoes because I, you know, I've been wearing barefoot shoes for eight, maybe even nine years now. I really like feeling connected to the ground. I'm not advocating people go and suddenly do that just to be really clear. I've been wearing these kinds of shoes for a long time. Yes, it means I don't have any cushioning, but I've been learning to run this way. 
So for me, that's something I want to do. And the fourth thing is I didn't want the training to not allow me to do my job that I love or spend time with my family the way I want to. And it really hasn't. Hmm. And and that's what I'm really, really proud of. I, it's not got in the way of my work. I'm not saying everyone can do that. I've just been very, I think I've trained smart. And again, I will give huge homage to my coach for helping me. I think she goes wrong and look, you, I would just, I wouldn't run this week. You've got too much on, you, you, your, your bucket's full. Yep. You're going to put more strain on your body. So I feel... I don't know if I'll manage to meet all those four goals. I'd like to think I'll finish with a smile on my face. Even if I'm uh, crying inside, yeah. I'm sure I can, uh, you know, put on a smile for the yeah. end. Yeah. But the point I'm trying to make you is that people ask you, what time are you going for? This has been really hard for me because I've always been really competitive and I don't think it came from a good place in the past. If I look at those four goals... Which one of those four have got a time at the end of it? No. So this has been a, a, a real struggle with me because part of me wants to look at the time, but part of me is also going wrong. And that's a narrative you, you've grown up with since you were a kid, that your time matters, that it's, uh, that it's, uh, it, it's important. It says something about who you are. But, but I come to the realization a few months ago, my wife and my kids do not care one jot, if I do that marathon in two and a half hours or six and a half hours, they will not love me even 1% less. Yep. It doesn't change my ability to do my job the day after. Yep. And I think why I'm so passionate about getting this message out there, Hugh, is because I really so strongly feel that many of us walk around and we absorb other people's goals and we think they're ours, but they're not. And therefore, we're trying to live up to something that's not ours. We, we, you can't compare yourself to Elliot Kipchoge. A, he's one of the most talented athletes probably ever to walk the earth. But he's a professional athlete. He can run. He can get coaching. He can rest when he needs to rest, right? And, and I feel, what do you think about uh, a focus on times? Because I'm not saying it's, it's always wrong, because for some people, it's a great motivation and tool for them. But... When you look at that time, let's say four hours, 4.30, five hours, it doesn't tell you anything else about that person's life. Was that person running a marathon in five hours and they were single and they were in really good health and they had nothing else to do apart from work and train? Or were they a single mum working two jobs, also caring for a relative and actually just getting on that start line was one of the most incredible things they've ever done. Mm. You know, it doesn't tell that story. And and that's why I'm so keen to try and get this message out that you can do it, but do it your way. And look, I, uh, again, I think that's just such a great life lesson, which is we do absorb so much pressure from external and have to live up to, um, you know, you talked about my father, and my mother, do I have to live up to that or people, you know, what their friends have said that they should do or what somebody else did. No, I mean, that's the great thing about the marathon being such a leveler and, um, you know, just have that inner strength, have that belief in yourself and, that, you know, you can, as your coach has said, finish it. And by the way, anyone can have a coach by joining a running club. 
So in reality, that accessibility might not be as good as your coach, but they absolutely can do that. So they can go on the internet, they can research stuff. So it, it, you know, I'm, I'm not criticizing people for trying to run a time. I'm just going, there's enough pressure on society full stop for us at the moment. Um, more, I mean, just ridiculous amounts at the moment. So it's one of the reasons in terms of the virtual event that we did in 2020 and the fact that it is incredible. There'll be 40,000 people on the road from Greenwich to Westminster, but there'll be another 40,000 doing the 26.2 miles in their community, um, doing the virtual event their way in 23 hours. They've got 23 hours, 59 minutes and 59 seconds to do it in. And that, again, for me, just makes the marathon even more powerful, even more helpful, even more inspirational. Um, and, and it just takes away the pressure for so many people where they've got crowds. You know, some people get agoraphobia. They don't want to, to or claustrophobia. There are too many people around them for whatever reason, but they could do it their way. And I love the fact that we are uh, together. We run is what we're doing both virtually and on the event on the day from Greenwich to Westminster. One of the most incredible things, I think, for people watching the London Marathon is the variety of people taking part, the different shapes, the different ages, the different sizes. And I think that's what's incredibly special about the event. We're going to put this podcast out just a few days before the ballot opens for 2022. So Hugh, for people who are thinking, all right, I'm thinking about it. I hear what you guys are saying, but are still not sure whether they should put their names down in that ballot. What would you say to them? Just do it. It's as simple as that. I think it's the first step, going back to what we talked about, the first step. If you take that first step and put your name in, um, you might get a place. And if you do get a place, then you've got to go now. I've got, you know, people will find out at the uh, end of January, beginning of February 2022. What a great way. You've then got another nine months with which to um, ease yourself in to the fact you're then going to be running that 26.2 miles in October. So, um, and that's a journey that you'll go on. And as you say, it does not have to be pressurized. It can be that you're going to start walking a mile. That's what you're going to do. That's your first thing that you're going to try and do is walk a mile or walk half a mile. Um, but it's that, you know, we know that if you have an event at the end, if you've set yourself a target to complete it, not in a time, just to complete it, then you are much more likely to do it and then try and find somebody else. I mean, Chris Evans got you involved. Um, and that's what I love. Chris is just so enthusiastic, him and Vassos, and how many people they get in, involved to, to get that realization that yeah. it is accessible if you put your mind to it. It's about comfort zones, isn't it? It's about putting yourself outside that comfort zone to see what happens. Yep. And... You know, speaking as someone who feels incredibly grateful to have a place, because my cousin got a place in 2018. He's not got in on the ballot since. He's just each year waiting and waiting to see. 
he wants to experience that again. Mm. And I know how lucky and fortunate I have been to, to, to be given a place. So I do not take that for granted. But I'm so glad Chris and Vassal's challenged me because had she not, I would not have been on this voyage of self-discovery. But I had to say yes. I had to have that date on the calendar. And then I had to learn around it. Mm. And I think that's the power, isn't it? You know, put your name in the belt. You may not get it. Yep. But if you do, then suddenly you've got to ask yourself a few questions. Mm. Yeah. And I mean, you probably, you know, in terms of, I know you talk about this a lot in terms of the importance of sleep, the importance of the right food and nutrition. But again, these are all things that on the, on the journey you're on, you'll sort of realize because you'll feel the difference when you're running, you'll feel the difference in your legs and your muscles. And it is then just about looking after yourself holistically. And, and you will end up in a much healthier place, I believe, at the end of that journey. You have something called the Spirit of London Marathon Awards. And I'm interested as to what they are and what are some of your most memorable stories from the marathon? Yeah, I think, you know, we've talked a lot about the feeling of running that 26.2 miles and the spirit of the London Marathon is about people that have really shown that feeling have had a have have done something that is connected with the world with britain um and you know it, it it really is it's just incredible just some of those stories where people have um uh you know their story has blown up um so an example would be um, in 2017, I think it was, the Duke and the Duchess of Cambridge and Prince Harry talked about, I mean, the marathon became the mental health marathon. It was, they, uh, there was, they took 12 people with mental health issues and um, they were followed on a TV program on this journey that they, they went on. And there was one particular woman who her story was just quite incredible. She had um, uh, lost her baby aged one and five days later, her husband had then committed suicide. And she unbelievably felt she wasn't worthy of anyone's love. She didn't feel connected to the world and the journey that she went on in terms of of building up her confidence through running that 26.2 miles the story that got told um was quite incredible and that is Rianne Burke uh that story uh, that was shown on TV uh and the spirit that she showed showed the true spirit of the London Marathon. Um, and, you know, I, I feel incredibly proud that the London Marathon was the end vehicle for that campaign of the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge and Prince Harry about mental health, something that we as a society didn't talk about. You know, it was very easy to understand if some someone had a physical health issue, you've got a broken arm or you're limping or you've got a bandage, but to understand mental health and how they have changed society in that way and that the marathon was part of it. And this 
you know, the spirit of the London Marathon is about that. It's about, um, you know, just the first winners. If you go to Dick Bidsley and Inga Simonson, who, you know, you know, these were the elite runners and they finished that first London Marathon hand in hand. Um, and talk about setting the marathon off in a way that you couldn't possibly have written. I mean, if someone had said that these yeah. runners, the best runners in the world, were going to duke it out over the roads of London and then finish hand in hand. But there are just incredible stories every year. And the spirit of the London Marathon is, is where people are brought together, um, you know, whether it's Michael Watson um, who the boxer and, and he did it in eight days. I think it was in 2003, the same year that Paula Radcliffe broke the world record. Yeah. There, there are just these stories. It's worth your listeners just looking them up because they're moving stories and they are the reasons that people ran and the journey that they went on. And I believe that the marathon for each one of them has helped them on that journey. I mean, it's incredible to hear these stories, these individual stories. I guess there's going to be 40,000 stories each year, right? Because each individual, whether it's their first marathon or their 20th marathon, there's something about that distance, I'm sure, that teaches you something new every time. Because each day is different. You will have slept differently coming up to it. You will have eaten differently. Your life circumstances will be different. And therefore, the you that shows up will also be slightly different each time. And so it's incredible to hear that. And, and as you were saying that, it made me think that when your father thought about the event, you know, co-founded this event in the in the late 1970s or early 1980s a long time ago mental health would not have been on anyone's agenda whether it's for a physical activity race whether it's in society i guess back then the view would have been a marathon is about physical health whereas these days we're discovering that arguably more important than that it's, it's, it's effects on our mental health. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think, you know, that you absolutely that, you know, they absolutely never thought about it in 1981. It, I mean, my father died in 2003. They certainly weren't even thinking about it in 2001. Um, so that really, as I said, only happened from 2017. But also, I don't think that the, you know, we have gone through one billion pounds having been raised by the runners for good causes, having run the London Marathon. One billion pounds, and I don't think he and John. I mean, John died a lot, a lot later than than my father. But I mean, they, John knew that we were getting to the billion, um, and he was immensely proud of it. But my father would never have thought of that was was possible. So I think it's just grown in this incredible way that the community has, you know, Britain and the world has helped helped it to grow. I mean, it's an incredible statistic that to think that this event has raised more than one billion pounds. I mean, that really answers one of my first questions, which is why should we care about the London Marathon? You know, why does it matter more than just those 40,000 people who are on their own, you know, journeys on that particular day? And I think that's quite clearly there shows the societal relevance. But what happened there? Because there was no... Uh, there was no thought towards mental health when it first started. There was no thought, from what I understand, to charity 
when it first started. So what happened? At what point did the London Marathon start to become associated with charities? You know, was it from the crowd? Was it an individual? Or was it from the organization itself? So um, it, it actually came about because um, trying to get businesses to enter the London Marathon. And so there were some bonds um, created um, by Dave Bedford, who was a previous race director. And they were bonds for businesses to get guaranteed places. And for whatever reason, businesses didn't decide, didn't decide that was the right thing that they wanted to do. But charities did. And they um, sort of, I think, amplified something that, again, is just a uniquely British thing, which is sort of the fancy dress piece. I mean, um, uh, you might be smiling. I'm really hoping you are smiling as you come down that finish straight. But be very careful. Do have a quick look around about who else is around you. Because one of my favorite mem memories, I think, um, uh, was, uh, I think it was Andrew Strauss running the London Marathon. And uh, a full gorilla um, out sprinted him down the finish line, this guy dressed in a full uh, gorilla suit. And this is why it's such a leveller. It's like, you know, one of the greatest cricketers in the world. And then this this guy obviously was absolutely all out. I think Andrew was just sort of sauntering to the finish line. This gorilla comes shooting past him. So his finish photo was probably Andrew Strauss with a gorilla next to him. So I, th I think there have been so many things that have happened. Like when we talk about the virtual, the, the marathon, it's like, um, uh, the fact that we believe that we'll have something like 80,000 people um, around the world, both in their own communities and on those roads from Greenwich to Westminster doing it. That's an incredible thing that we could not have imagined in 2019 that that's what we'd be saying is happening the next time the full London Marathon happens 889 days later. We would not have imagined it. So I think what we've been quite good the team has been um uh great at doing is developing listening and and developing the event and it is the most popular marathon on the planet Four hundred and fifty thousand people applied in 19 in 2019 for the 2020 event how, how many applied for it was actually four i think it was four hundred and fifty six thousand people from um applied in six days to do it to do the 2020 actual London Marathon, the one that didn't actually um, happen. Um, so, so nearly half a million people nearly half applied people. for 40,000 places. Yeah. How many applied for this year? Oh, similar uh, amounts? It wasn't as many because we didn't have the, in 2020, we didn't have, um, you know, people doing the actual in-person event. And I think it's it, it's that bit where you get the connection, the, the human kind yeah. coming together, where, you know, that's what it inspires people but so much. What do you do about that as an organisation? Because as awareness keeps growing year on year, as people, I guess, the learnings of the past two years or so, you know, we've all learned things about ourselves, about what makes us tick, what do we miss when society shuts down, you know, what are the what are the th things we truly value in life? And if more and more people think, yeah, I want to come together as a community, I want to be on those iconic London streets, putting one foot in front of the other, you're already struggling to meet demand with nearly half a million people applying. So what happens as more and more people enter that balance? There's going to be more and more disappointed people. And and look, it is a very 
it's a it's a it's both a great position to be in but a difficult position to be in um and i think you know we do say there are other marathons other than london um and there are some great other ones in the uk in terms of the manchester marathon the brighton marathon edinburgh marathon and it isn't just about marathons it is just about you know you've talked about park run yeah um and well, 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 well i see a lot of similar as you talk about the marathon you talk about you know the back of you know the, the back of the pack the bus there the tail walkers uh, i've heard you talk about volunteers before which we'll, we'll maybe get onto next I'm hearing a lot of similarities to Parkrun. I mean, yes, I don't know whether you've had Paul Sinton Hewitt um, and, and interviewed him who founded Parkrun. I'm not at Paul yet. I've had Nick, the CEO of Parkrun Nick on. Nick Pearson. Yeah, uh, excellent. Which was so, great. Yeah. So, and, and still, I remember one of the most impactful things he said to me on that podcast was Parkrun is a social intervention masquerading as a running event mm. yep, or something to that effect. Yep. And that has stayed with me. Yep. And, um, you know, I'm proud of the journey. I was a director of park run in its early stages. Right. Um, and before you took the job in the marathon. Yes. Um, before I took the job at the marathon. Um, and, um, uh, I started one on Christmas day in, in about 2000 and, seven or something so it's the bushy park and and then i think there were maybe three at the time there was bushy park wimbledon and one other and and i do remember saying um that this will be seen as even more important than the london marathon um and that's a pretty bold statement to make especially in the position that i'm in but it 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 is that community it is the fact that they are going on every day in communities around now the world what paul has done what nick is doing um what tom williams is doing what that team is doing um is quite incredible to to get people on that journey those first footsteps and it is you know it's like you talk about the back of the pack. When we had our back of the pack issue, which is we let down the runners at the back. And those are the runners that we're actually trying. Those are the people who are participating that we're trying to inspire. The people that this is not normal to do 26.2 miles. So how can we genuinely create an amazing atmosphere for them? And that's what we're hoping to do with the party bus, with um, the tail walkers. Um, but yeah, park run is quite incredible and and i just think that we link together in a in a lovely way yeah, i agree i mean it's it's for me it's not about which is the most impactful i think they're both doing incredible things in their own way you know park run has been transformative at our in my own family life you know it's something we've certainly used to at least collectively do at the weekends together hmm. um i know as a doctor I've got many patients whose lives have been transformed by Parkrun, not only those who want to run it. I've got many case studies that I think about in my head now of people who I encourage to go and volunteer. Yeah. And the volunteering was transformative yep. for their mental health. Yep. How important are volunteers to, I guess, all sporting events, but in particular, the marathon? Yeah, I mean, quite simply, they couldn't happen without volunteers um we will have about four and a half thousand volunteers wow. um around 
um, the route. And um, again, people come back year, year on year. It is quite incredible because, as you say, the benefit that you can get, how you're helping other people, the benefit you get just by giving your time um, and your positivity to helping someone just direct them in one place or uh, helping them on the route, giving them jelly babies. I mean, that's probably one thing that, uh, uh, depending how your nutrition strategy goes <laughs> on the day, you might well be. I'd always remember one year um, and I really hadn't done the training and um, I knew it wasn't going to go very well. And uh, basically from the last six miles, I was stopping and eating jelly babies, crisps, cheese sandwiches, you <laughs> name it, anything I was just shoving in my face because I'd hit the wall. And um, But yeah, the volunteers are the lifeblood of the event. And as you say, whether it's um, that happens in you know London 2012 and the Olympics, our volunteers uh, were just absolutely incredible and that's what made the olympics so much was the volunteers the crowd it's these people it's not i mean yeah you're incredible running on those the one of forty thousand, but it's that you're bringing other people together to experience that incredible high that's what makes it so in such an amazing day you get runners who come year on year uh i know there's some stories i think there's is it 11 people who've done every single one? The yep. last time in part yeah. of my research for this conversation, I was like, 11 people, yeah. every single one. That's incredible. Do you get volunteers who keep coming back each year and want to volunteer at every event? Or is it kind of fresh new blood every year? Or are there some sort of stalwarts who are always there and it's part of who they are? It, it, it is actually both. And I mean, one of the big things that we're, we're also trying to do is 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 make the marathon more diverse um bring more communities into it you you spoke earlier about a um a single mum who's holding down two jobs and uh who's got a couple of kids and she's managing to do the marathon those are incredible stories and we need to make more of them yeah i, I agree those are the stories i think that for those people who go, oh, rather you than me, mates, um, why would I do a marathon? I ain't got time for that. I think those are the stories that will inspire more and more people, yeah. I guess, from more and more diverse backgrounds as well. I mean, what's that like for the marathon? Do you, do you have a flavor of, obviously, London is an incredibly diverse city. Running, I think, in the past might have been seen by some, which is quite ironic, given if we look at who's dominating um uh, you know running whether it's sprinting or long distance running in the world in terms of which countries they come from but many people i guess in the past might have thought of it as more of a white middle class sport running yeah. is that something that the marathon had to contend with is that something you've you've actively had to go and go no we need to get more diversity or is that something you've always managed to attract so mass participation sports events you're absolutely right generally are middle class and more white. And do we need to do something about it? Yes. Um, and that actually is one of our, the huge things that we're trying to change at the moment. How can you genuinely make a sport that is incredibly accessible in the sense that you can do it from your front door? Most people own a pair of trainers. Most people own a T-shirt. So actually you can go out in a T-shirt, yeah. pair of leggings, running shoes. 
but how can you genuinely, going back to that single parent, if they're looking after the kids, who else is going to look after the kids? How can you really make it something that truly becomes accessible to the whole of society? And we're on a journey at the moment, and um, uh, we have some great uh, members of the team who are going out into different communities. Um, and this goes across, it's not just running, it is cycling, it is swimming. I mean, we just put on last weekend, uh, we had an event called Swim Serpentine. Linford Christie has just learned to swim. And there he was, we had Linford Christie, we had Mini Driver. I mean, you couldn't get two, two uh, amazing celebrities, but, you know, Minnie was used to, to swimming. She swims in, in the Pacific, she was saying, but Linford's just learned. And what, you know, there he was, 1992 Olympic gold medalist, having just learned to swim and in the Serpentine. So we need to do that for the London Marathon. And there's a lot of work that we're doing going out into, into communities to um, to change the circumstances that exist at the moment. It's interesting. You said earlier on something like what you see is so important. The idea that, you know, what you see in front of you sort of in many ways defines what you think is possible. Yes. I, I know as a parent, it's something I'm very aware of. Yeah particularly when I think about my kids and the opportunities they're being exposed to comparing it to my own upbringing. And then you think about diversity and, you know, yes, my dad was a doctor. So um, I, there was a certain privileges afforded through that. But we were an immigrant family to the UK. And if I think about my upbringing, one of the reasons I'm so drawn to nature now is because nature didn't play a part of my childhood. You know, mum and dad came from India here to give their family a better life. It was about do well at school. That's mm. how you get ahead. That's how you get a secure job and you can look after your family. There was no talk about getting out of nature to relax and for your mental health. There was no talk of uh, going for a run at the weekend or, you know, I didn't see my mum and dad go running or putting their running gear on. So it sounds so almost trivial, almost trite saying it like this, but it just didn't really feature for me. So in some ways you, you don't feel those events are for you. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you don't see it around you. Exactly. And if I compare that to my kids, of course, they're seeing us do park run. They're going to see daddy do a marathon. Yep. And so hopefully their idea of what's normal it's going to be completely different. So you say your team's working on this. Is it, is it, is it working? Is it, are things changing? Do, do you know any of these diversity splits at all? Yeah, yeah, I do. I do know an awful lot of statistics on it. And London is a most incredible city in terms of diversity, which is 40%. And this is the last census, 2011. The yeah. new census of 2021 hasn't come out. London had about a 41% ethnic community diversity in terms of the London Marathon. Where do we sit at the moment? Around about 10%. Now that's wrong. So what are we doing? We we started an event called the Vitality Big Half, um, and that is actually it. It has real targets in terms of community entries, um, going into running crews, um, going into different groups, and inspiring activity. Because going back to this bit, if you do not see it, you do not believe it. And um, you know, I know I come from unbelievable privilege, right? Unbelievable privilege. And what actually motivates me is to 
take that privilege and do something positive with it. And that's what the London Marathon can do. I had an incredible meeting last week with a school, Art Global Academy in Southwark, and the teachers there, the commitment that they had to their, to the kids who, in lockdown, so few of them had computers to be able to have online learning. Well, they didn't have a table where they lived, right? The only table they had is the desk at the school. And they were recounting to me the trauma of the mental health that is now happening for school kids that had no issues before from the last 18 months, whereas the ones that had issue, it's become off the scale. And yet, through sport, through activity, through helping people to control some part of their life through sport, if we can make it accessible, it will help. And we have to change society and make it more equal. And we have to change the London Marathon to be more inclusive. Yeah, that would be amazing. And it is anything at all I can do to help with that. You doing it is helping. I mean, um, uh, your heritage, um, as you said, you're a tall man. I don't know how tall you are. I'm going to guess about six, four, six, six and a half, six, six and a half. Wow. Um, uh, not the typical marathon runner's heights. Not the typical, <laughs> no, absolutely not. Uh, yes, that's definitely not. I think they say the ideal marathon runner's height is about about a foot smaller than you for the I, ideal I, I, marathon I'm aware. <laughs> um, but, um, and, and again, I think this is about partnerships. How can we genuinely break down these barriers and, you know, go back to what the London Marathon was in 1981? Less than 5% of the finishers were women. Now it's 45%. It will soon be 50%. It has a power to help change society. And we need to use that privilege to, to kickstart um, a, a really important part of, again, bringing humanity together. One of the things that impressed me most about you, Hugh, when researching this conversation was your passion, but also your incredible, I think, honesty and humility. Because you say, yeah, you may have had a privileged start in life, but you're also very open about where the marathon currently is and where you want it to get to. And whether you admire and respect that, because it'd be easy to, I think, to hide from that and not be so open about that. But I think it's really powerful because, you know, nothing's is born perfect. Everything requires work. On a human level, no change ever occurs until there's awareness. We need to be honest. We need to have self-awareness. And only then can we take the steps to actually make change. And it's no different from an organization like yours that without the honesty and self-awareness, there's no way you can change and make it more diverse. Hmm. But what would your dream be, I guess, we're you know, in 2021 now, let's fast forward to 2030. What would you like to see for the London Marathon at the end of the decade? Uh, look, it's a great question. We, and, and I'm very 
sort of data focused and um uh so what do i want to see by 2030 so i have um and this is what the team so firstly a vision for a kids event the day before the marathon with 50,000 school kids running the last 2.6 miles of the marathon um where every school kid is getting paid for coming to the marathon so and that money is going towards computers or sports equipment for their schools and that these schools are so kids are being rewarded for running that 2.6 they're not having to pay anything they're actually getting rewarded for doing it and um uh i want to see that the marathon has helped this happen in cities around great britain and that the london marathon we already as a team have an incredible head of schools who a guy called ben cooper who um is trying to get the daily mile um in london schools and i believe we should be getting that happening in every school in britain that our kids are having that 15 minutes of exercise every single day and um you know you take your kids to park run i take my kids to park run but again that's a privilege that we have and we are able to do um uh we we need to get you know we there's some terrible statistics one in 10 of our school kids go into primary school obese one in five come out obese so whatever's going on with the education system whatever is going on with the health of our nation we are going walking into a time bomb of ill health of bad mental health of bad physical health and if we can together and thank you for saying you would like to help us on the journey because i will come back to that i promise you we can together if we really work we need to get government to start going it is not acceptable um that um uh, that that's how society has um allowed to to happen we need to make some positive change and um yeah what do i want to see a london marathon that truly represents london's amazing or britain's amazing diversity because it is not just about london it really isn't this is britain's marathon it is the world's marathon but we need to really inspire all communities to get involved it's pretty inspiring thinking about that and I guess by articulating it and by putting it out there, it opens up the possibility for actually that to happen. I mean, I'm an optimist, although it's hard sometimes to maintain that optimism. I would like to think that that is possible when you have a good team, a great desire, a great focus, a great goal, like yep. a clear goal, what you're aiming for. Just to sort of go into a slightly different area. Um, one thing that's fascinating for me is that the Brasher family, yourself and your dad, have been involved with two of the most important athletic feats in human history. So Roger Bannister running the four-minute mile, showing people for the very first time that a human being can complete a mile in under four minutes. Your dad was one of the pacers. 
and you have been involved as well, haven't you? I think with your team in Elliot Kipchoge's successful attempt to break two hours. So talk to me a little bit about that. What can we learn from you Roger Bannisters, from your Elliot Kipchoge's who are smashing through previously thought limits on human potential? Oh, I think we can learn an enormous amount from each of them in different ways. And I mean, just, yes, we're talking about running, but I mean, just bring in Emma Raducanu and what she did um, in the US Open um, with such joy on her face um, and such positivity and um, sort of this bit where Elliot talked about no human is limited. And um, that's what you, when you go back to, to Roger Bannister, it was deemed to be physiologically impossible for someone to run under four minutes for a mile back in 19, back in, in it for nine years between 1945 to 1954, it had been, that's 10 years. So 1946 to 1954, it had been deemed physiologically impossible to run under, um, four minutes for a mile and there he was training as a doctor now uh so he was a, a training as a junior doctor and um uh you will know firsthand how difficult that is and he goes out and does something that um that is said to be physiologically impossible and it goes back to he managed to fit that in and what did he do he had a great coach um, he surrounded himself with other people, Chris Chataway, um, and my dad. And my dad, um, you know, that probably inspired him to become a gold medalist. He was, Chris Chataway uh, was a world record holder. He, in, in 1950, um, I mean, bizarrely, actually, he was the first sports personality of the year, Chris Chataway. In the year wow. that Roger Bannister won the, uh, broke the four-minute mile record, one of the, broke four minutes of the mile. He, uh, um, Chris Chataway, because he beat a runner called Vladimir Kutz at White City Stadium, 100,000 people watching and live on TV, whereas Roger, no one was on t <laughs> no one saw it on TV and it was about 8,000 people at a track. But I digress. It was, you know, I think Roger just showed um, what you can do with your life. I mean, he was, uh, just the most incredible, um, man. And, and the four minute mile was a small part of what he did. Um, uh, and Elliot has this unbelievable Zen like quality and what he says. And when he says it, there are just some absolute nuggets. Um, and, you know, what he did, yeah, we were part, the team, um, and as you say, the London Marathon team of 80 people who are passionate about trying to help people to be the best they can be, whether it's the everyday athlete or the absolute, you know, goat, the greatest of all time, Elliot Kipchoge. And it was an incredible experience to be part of that team. Um, so Dave Brailsford led um, the team. Um, Valentin Trow, who is Elliot's manager, and myself was sort of a leadership team. And then you had these incredible teams um, operating to find paces, to look at the new formation, to, you know, go into wind tunnels. You had Ben Ainsley Racing as part of it, looking at the whole wind. Um, uh, you had our operational team getting the course, um, you know, resurfacing it in places, changing wow. the, um, the, the, the banking on a roundabout. I mean, it was just... 
the level of detail that was gone into the nutrition. Um, you know, every water bottle that Elliot drank out of was discarded, picked up, and then weighed afterwards, so that they knew exactly the amount of liquid that he was taking in his body. If you look very closely, there's a great film out at the moment. If you look very closely, actually, one of the first things they do when he finishes crosses the line jumps on a scale because they were weighing him yeah. afterwards. The level of detail. Um, no, I, I, just, I saw an early copy of the film. Incredible, isn't it? I, yeah. I think everyone should watch it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's it's look, it's a an honour to be part of that sort of thing. Um, it doesn't come around too often, um, and yeah, I think that whole family connection it was was lovely for me to um, just be part of the team that 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 helped Elliot show the world what he said, which was no human is limited. I guess that's the point of the London Marathon, isn't it? You just mentioned it's about helping every single person be the best that they can be. So Elliot Kipchoge breaks two hours with this incredible team of help, looking at all the kind of small margins everywhere. Okay, great. That allowed him to be the best that he can be. But that's maybe not relevant for me or for you or for the single mum or for the busy executive or for the school teacher, for the school cook, the cleaner. Right, their ceiling or, or their potential is different, not better, not worse, just different. And that's this overriding message I'm, I'm getting through from you, Hugh, which has given me tingles because I haven't experienced it yet. I'm days away from going on that part of my journey for the first time. Mm. I know I'm going to learn about myself. But like you, I believe that everyone has got their own marathon. For some people, their local park run is their version of a marathon, or I guess even their version of a two-hour marathon, mm. right? For someone, depending on your physical health, just getting round the 5K park run at your local park, that may be your version of a marathon. But it speaks to this idea that we all have unlimited potential and we all need help to be the best versions of ourselves. And and that is it. It is about help. It's trying to get help. It's being open to help. Um, and we will only ever be the best we can be if we get help. And it doesn't matter whether you're Elliot Kipchoge. It doesn't matter whether um, you're the single parent. Someone's got to look after your kids when you're not there. So someone's got to help you. And it's it's trying to work out what you can control. It's trying to work out what you want to do. Um, and... Um, and yeah, we, you know, it's not about measuring yourself against these gods of the sport. It's just about doing it for yourself and having it in your heart um, that you just want to achieve something that will be positive, that will build your self-esteem because too much of society just takes away people's self-esteem yeah. and and the marathon can really really help build it and bobby said it so perfectly in that text um 
uh, at the start about the feeling, which is just so incredibly positive. Only a few days to go for me, Hugh. Any advice for me before the big events? Uh, I think um, don't do anything new is the, is the first <laughs> one. So, so you know, you've been on the journey for, for 18 months. Um, uh, I always say to people, if you're used to having a, a beer beforehand or a wine or whatever you do beforehand, before you run or that's what you do, just do that. Just because... Otherwise, you start worrying. You you know you'll be playing all the things through in your head about what's going to go on the next day. So so firstly, just try and do what you're used to doing. That's the number one thing. Um, try not to get carried away at the start. Um, you know you, you'll have the crowd. You'll have people. I I always remember um, uh, my wife. Uh, I wrote a training program for her, um, and she was doing it. I think this was two thousand and nine before uh, we had our first child and she'd done her best half marathon and she wanted to put this pressure of a time on her and I said fine and sort of wrote a sort of said we'll pace it this way um and only found out she had honestly she said it was one of the this is gonna she's now gonna put your listeners off she said it was one of the worst experiences of her life um but um she only found out about three months later um that she basically ran a pb for the first eight miles <laughs> so she just got so carried away by the crowd and what was going on it's a bit downhill it's like so relax um uh don't do anything new and absolutely put your name on on your vest on your t-shirt um you'll want your name changed by the end of it i promise <laughs> you because you'll be sick of hearing it um but um i have yeah. heard i have heard that uh don't go off too fast yeah i've heard in fact helen said to me many times whether it's a london marathon or any other event, biggest mistake you get carried away with the adrenaline you start going out yeah. too fast and you pay for it later you do so uh, thank you for that advice. Yep. Hugh, I've got to say, I really enjoyed uh, this conversation. I really appreciate you making the journey up to the studio. Um, I think what you and your team are doing is absolutely incredible. I'm so delighted that I'm going to join that journey of other fellow London marathoners, whether people who compete or they watch or they give to charity. The podcast is called Feel Better, Live More. When we feel better in ourselves, we get more out of our life. Have you got any final words of wisdom for people listening to the show? Wow. <laughs> so, um, I, th I, I think just trying to have fun in life generally. You feel better when you're smiling. You feel more positive when you're smiling. And enter that ballot. It'll open on the 2nd of October, the day before the marathon. Um, even though if you think you can't, I promise you, you can. And I just want to thank you so much for inviting me here. I think what you're doing in terms of just promoting health and, um, you know, I love you're trying different things, the nasal breathing, um, the barefoot running. I know you've got the vivo shoes on but uh you're experimenting with yeah. with with different different parts of it and doing it in in a natural way um and I, and i think 
that everyone should just do it for themselves. And, um, and then one last thing I just want to say, because you made a commitment on air uh, with Chris Evans that got you here. Um, you said you would help us in increasing the diversity of the London Marathon. And Rongan, I would just so like you to help us to do that. We will be on that journey together. And I'd just love to hear your story afterwards and uh, see how it felt for you. But thank you so much for, uh, for inviting me here. My pleasure, for sure. I'd love to do everything I can help to, to improve the pickup and the diversity. And uh, I have no doubt this will not be the last time we speak on the podcast together. But um, I guess for now, I'll see you on the start line. Really hope you enjoyed that conversation. As always, do have a think about one thing that you can take away and start applying into your own life. Perhaps you feel inspired to join your local park run. Perhaps you feel inspired to go for the 2023 London Marathon. If you do, the ballot to get a place opens on Saturday, the 1st of October, 2022. Just go to the London Marathon website or click on the link in the episode notes for this episode in your podcast app. Honestly, it was a fantastic day. And if you're thinking about it, I'd encourage you, why not go for it? Enter that ballot and see what happens. And before you go, I just want to let you know about Friday Five. It's my free weekly email containing five simple ideas to improve your health and happiness. I share exclusive insights that I do not share anywhere else, including health advice, interesting articles or videos that I'd be consuming, and quotes that have caused me to stop and reflect. And in a world of endless emails, it really is delightful that many of you tell me it is one of the only weekly emails that you actively look forward to receiving. If that sounds like something you would like to receive each Friday, you can sign up for free at drchatterjee.com forward slash Friday five. And if you're new to my podcast, you may be interested to know that I have written five books now that have been bestsellers all over the world, covering all kinds of different topics, including happiness, food, stress, sleep, behavior change, movement, weight loss, and more. Do take a moment to check them out. And if you did enjoy today's episode, it's always appreciated if you can take a moment to share the podcast with your friends and family or leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful week. And please note that if you want to listen to this show without any adverts, that option is now available for a small monthly fee on Apple and on Android. All you have to do is click the link in the episode notes in your podcast app. And always remember, you are the architects of your own health. Making lifestyle changes always worth it. Because when you feel better, you live more.